In this week's episode of Show Notes, goodbye now. Goodbye if we're going to get canceled, we're going to get canceled for this episode. Thank <laughs> so you. Goodbye. Funny. That's a mood. <laughs> there, platonically, there were some nights where I'm like, damn, I wish I was Sean right now. Like, f- please don't ah. make me sit through the caucasity. I do not want to. <gasps> I do not want to. I don't. I wouldn't trade for that. Is powerful in its own right. It is, but it's a gross kind of powerful. He it's could either do getting it. me hot or it's making me want to throw up. Anyway. Ooh, I've never made you feel that way before. But Conspiracy hers. theory started. Yeah! Sort of been the spin since Cincinnati. <laughs> Morning flight, a major bore, but then they opened the cabin door and Zootalore, here I am. Do, do, do. <laughs> See, I've actually never seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, funny enough, but I don't know why Ooh. that, I don't, uh, I don't know where that actually came from. So, neat. Uh, uh. Anyway, moving on. Are we recording? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Okay, so Tony Award history here. I know. I know. So good. I'm literally shook. Like, I, Stephen, I can't. Oh, my God, so I can't. we're just right off the top here. Happy Pride Month, y'all. Happy Absolutely. Pride Month, y'all. Uh, 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 we have uh. to give some shout outs to... The impeccably wonderful Alex Newell Ugh. and Jay Harrison Gee. Ugh. I'm amazing. S- I'm so sad that I wasn't able to watch the Tonys because, like, I had no way. I'm sure it was streaming somewhere, but, like, I didn't watch it because the whole writer strike thing that's happening right now, and there's a whole bunch of malarkey. There was or, a whole thing there, yeah. There's a whole thing there, but you know what? Two non-binary. My cat. Exactly. <laughs> but two non-binary actors who got Tonys. I'm so excited. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's amazing. so good. Man, congratulations um, to everyone, nominees and winners yes, alike. I mean, one thousand percent, congrats. That it's, is a it's bucket. amazing in a, oh. in a time where there were over five hundred bills in different legislatures I across know, this country against queer rights yeah. overall. It's it's a beautiful thing to see. So, no, you are loved. You are here, and we are always here for you. Always feel free to reach out if you need. Yes. But I'm also going to bring up this point, which is fun. So, the director who is a gay man for parade in his uh, Tony award winning speech dropped a lovely uh, slur, but we are, we are trying to take the power back. Now I think it's kind of a fun correlation because with our current show that we are talking about, um, it's a, it's a hot topic. So uh, it's kind of fun to, to see some correlation. Not that I will ever put the F word against the N word, but um, yeah, there's a lot of one's just a little bit (laughs) derogatory. The other one's an entire pin you down (laughs) system of society. So I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And it's not pitting it against one another, but I mean, truly, the word in and of itself, whatever word we're talking about, whether it's the F word or the N word, in the community in which it finds its origin, it is bad to that community. So like we don't yeah. pit them against one another, but like, yes, they are they are equally bad in their own rights. The fact that he said that I am this, but I am now this with a Tony. And it was like, oh, it was so good. <gasps> I literally just the shade. Oh my God. I was so happy. I'm like, I'm, I wish you would have dropped in Mike or you could have because it would have been awesome i actually commented on someone's like just in my pajamas i start like gay yelled into my television (laughs) 
and then uh, like started clapping. And then I immediately saw Ben Platt like oh, doing the same thing with his like Motley Crew because it's parade did. too. But it's parade. I. I just had to, I had to laugh. I just made me feel so oh, much better. Oh, babe. See, now that's a, good. that's going to be a bucket list item for FTT. If we get the opportunity to go to the Tonys, if someone oh, so pays good. us or they pay us to like go review oh, shows. Okay. Well, we better, we better get to working on <laughs> that. Uh, part of that would be actually doing the show. So I think we better take this from, from the, the top. top, from the top, a five, six, seven. Oh my God. Oh my God. You guys. Wait for me. I'm Michael in the bathroom by his So it's your fault. Yeah. Well, nobody's perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. And I'm Steven. I'm just uh, from north of here to Raleigh, and we're here to do a podcast for you. <laughs> we're here to done do a podcast, and we're going to, today, tonight, we're on the marquee. Uh, we are talking about the one, the only, Violet the Musical. Now, are we going to do this the whole dang time? We sure as shit are not. Okay. Nope. <laughs> Because I'm like, first of all, I feel like it's, I feel, I, I, I don't have family in the South, nor I, but I know a lot of people in the South. It's like, I don't want to necessarily do that because it does sound like I am doing it in a parody. But secondly, I mean, all I can hear is Monty. <laughs> like I can just hear when I hear that accent, it's just Monty. And I'm like, all I hear yep. him go is like, well, I mean, you're not beautiful. You're not a beauty, but that's okay. You're not some beauty. That don't concern me. Thank you, Monty. All that... I want is you. <laughs> the fact that it was I've based been on... waiting oh my... by the roadside. <laughs> what was it? The ugliest pilgrim? Is that what it was based it on? It sure was. <laughs> it sure was. I literally still can't. The fact that it was called the ugliest pilgrim. Yeah. Oh, no. Actually, that is a perfect segue because uh, Doris Betts is our first topic uh, in this week's notes from a director. If it isn't asking too much, will you please show me a little? All right, now, once again, give it something. Oh boy! Give it what? Give what? Give what? it what? What happened? What? <laughs> no! I just, we did so good last time, and I was like, "Oh, look, we barely we have any notes, and it was great." But now it's like, "All right, give give it no. to me." What do we got? Okay, so this is that portion of rehearsal where you're really digging in oh, and neat. finding your character, sure. right? Like, so you're getting those in-depth wants Ooh, from the director at this neat. point. Okay. Yeah. So we, yeah, there's no specific things this time. There's some in-depth. Let's clarify uh -oh. and feel where we're going with this. Sure. Things that were said. Some topics need some more, more light. Need a little. So, need a little more meat. Okay. Yeah. That. Let's let's open a window. <laughs> oh, not a win is it a winder in the Greyhound bus? <laughs> yeah, uh, sure, just don't blow off the old lady's wig. <laughs> I mean, my my nana loses her wig when she's drunk. <laughs> okay, so didn't think that Doris was going to happen. Neat. <laughs> I didn't. I really didn't. Jeez. So we brought up Doris Betts, and I I had this little inkling. I had a little tiny fuzzy in my navel, and so I decided. <laughs> I wanted to look more into this person. Okay. Because just knowing the topics that she writes about, knowing the things that she 
was known to write, I thought I should look into this before I start being like, oh, give her praise. This is really great. We just want to make sure. sure. I wanted to make sure she wasn't like 1000% cancelable, wasn't something that we should be even like reporting on this show like you know <laughs> not like so, you know when i did a quick cast and i cast somebody who was canceled for eating people yeah you know of any and all shows that show was the one show army hammer can maybe do again that was i when you said that to me as a just you know your jaw hit the floor <laughs> <laughs> i was like excuse the only reason why i would do a video cast with you is for that moment right there it was that pretty was good. like um yeah. i'm dead literally hi paul <laughs> hi paul well so what i found out there's just some history on Doris Betts. So she is actually from North Carolina. Okay. She actually died in 2012. Oh. And she was put into the Literary Hall of Fame. Oh. For she had produced like a few full-fledged novels and three major short stories. One of them was The Ugliest Pilgrim. So I, w I do want to give air to the fact that her work uh. is in fact controversial. Like sure. sometimes it's not looked at well, especially by the black community. Sure. And so I want to give that air. I want to give that time. I want to give that the not reverence that it needs, but the the put it on the pedestal that it deserves, yeah, you know, just sure. to say she was speaking from a very specific vantage point. Think of it like that. Um, bigoted uncle you still invite to thanksgiving Ugh, okay. like that sort of thing i won't say she was a bad person she always talked about things pretty meh <laughs> she even had at some point written an entire novel where things switched where hmm. slaves were it, like roles were reversed oh, like okay the slave owners were the um, black people and the white people were the slaves. And so it sort of had to shift people in this. But Whoa. a lot of people were just like, yeah, this is just, you know, sublimating internalized white fear. Like people are just already scared that this is going to happen. Right. And that is a lot of people, a lot of people like this is an actual thing. People talk about how um, a lot of our uncomfortableness as white people is just this fact we don't ever want to acknowledge or talk about like the repercussion we should have for the things that we have done and the atrocities committed so we don't want to face that no. so when you have a book like this they're just like yeah okay cool but what if <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. so i just wanted to maybe get better but yeah most of her stories are set in the 50s and 60s and they mostly deal with religion or white people problems in the south like her style is considered southern grotesque hence explaining the n-word hard r's and sort of this unwavering staunch in their use so Seriously. I, yeah i did just want to point that out that she isn't necessarily someone to be celebrated personally or even for her body of work sure. though she was somewhat a pioneer of her time to contemporary writing and putting these sort of ideas in front of people so that's why it's like again i call it a catcher in the rye situation like it's a it's a novel to be to be read because sure. there are things to be gleaned from it however some of the subject matter is no longer standard for this day and shouldn't necessarily be you know given air she was a contemporary writer of her time putting hard things in front of people but you know different time different era yeah that's the only pass i'll give Sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Um, sort of along that line, I also don't want to get anything out of whack um, when I say this show doesn't necessarily need to be cast with, you know, all 
all the diversity, all okay. all the characters and all the stuff like that. I Because in, in our, our discussion of this, there there are two people that absolutely must like the musts of this cast. Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, should it should certain roles be cast uh, with black people? Absolutely. It should be. I think it's one of those moments when a if if were a black person to walk into a theater in the middle of these auditions and there's like a hundred white people in front of them, that person should get cast ahead of any and all of those people. Well, yeah. I mean, like when we talked about it originally in the initial episode, like there, you know, when we when we do this, there are a lot of times where we go cast for talent, not for other things. But with this show specifically, with the the time, the era, the decade, the subject matter, all those all those things, there are certain roles that absolutely have to be African American. The script calls for it, so you have to do it that way. You have to do it, yeah. yeah. Flick and Flick is one of those characters we said just can't budge. It's just part of the story. Yeah. As well as the only other one that specifically states like, hey, this is our fight. This is our what are you doing bringing a white girl in here exactly. would be the hotel manager yeah. whom I think they actually had a little side thing flicking the hotel manager. I have to believe that yeah. was a thing, but you know, well, that's just, you that know, that's reading into him. it. Yeah, totally. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I just wanted it to be like, no, this should they be? Yeah, they should absolutely be part of this cast. The difference is the necessity for it, like to tell this story. This this as opposed to the hairsprays of the world like this isn't going to be offensive like an all white color purple would be like the, this story can still like be told with the people that show up as long as you're flicking your hotel hotel manager um are cast appropriately yeah. and it you know is it fully accurate no does the show benefit from a diverse cast 1000 oh, yeah, percent. Totally. is it more accurate to the time setting especially in memphis yes, yes. so i just wanted to state some clarity on that because it should be given that time and clarity i mean good lord trust me i do would not want a white Lulu or a club singer. Like, f please don't make me sit through the caucasity. I do not want to. I do not want to. <laughs> if we ever had merch, it would be that. <laughs> Hashtag caucasity. Are you kidding me? Well, I'm not the one who coined that term, so I'm just saying. Yeah, but it's the first time I've heard it, and it's been from you, so... Ooh, well, good. Well, actually, I do believe this is one of those perfect semblances of it was probably said by amazing, devilicious black women, then the gay men take that from the black women, then their fun white girlfriends then <laughs> are then passed on to this beautifulness. I This is just life interacting reality. That's just life. It, I, life finds a way. Yeah, but I think this brings up a really fun point, this sort of speaks to writers of shows needs need to make sure that we're writing for diverse casts like going forward like we, we're seeing this right now on broadway all over like yeah. it's it's amazing to see a spectrum of people being able to perform and not only just in like races but in genders and like all that so i think i think we're on the right track do we still need to work on it yes oh, but 1, build it and they will come like shows like this need that diversity too and especially because it is being told in this portion of history absolutely so. and then the only other thing that maybe would be an act or sort of a note from a director i i mentioned briefly that 17 years to get this musical going but then it never really went anywhere we aren't caught up in discussion but um like we do like we do this musical started as a concept show actually in 1994 at the Eugene O'Neill Music Theater Conference so oh. it was just sort of a an ether sort of thing someone saw something in the in the 
text of Doris's short story <laughs> somehow. I don't know. And decided pilgrim. to try yeah, try to put it up on the stage. They saw the little ugliest pilgrim oh, and just thought baby. let's give her some stage time. So <laughs> It had an off-Broadway run for a few months in 1997, and in that very short period of time, it won tons of Drama Desk Awards and many other accolades. Like, it was stupid crazy how much this this is like the little show that could. It just blew everyone's mind, and they thought, oh, this is amazing. Um, But then, for some reason, one night, like uh, over a decade later, New York City Center with Encore, Encore Productions, Encore Theater, I can't remember what it is, but Encore, they wanted to put on a one-night stint of this particular show. Thus enters my dear, dear, amazing heroine, Sutton Sutton Foster. Foster. (laughs) The rest is history. You need to be proud of me again. I talked nary of Miss Sutton in our episode. I did not... You you really did the 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 Fosse string and the and the Foster cockle of your heart. Those are the two real big things that we have, and and you gave her credit and you did all the. I mean, but I mean, maybe when it was the mics were off, you said all of your like. Maybe maybe things. I got it out before we turned it off. I feel like that was probably true because I think, gushing. I think what God said was probably something that can't be repeated. So what I would convert to the Christianity of Sutton Foster. Well, I mean. You would start the Church of Sutton Foster, but like I would. No, no. The, I mean, I just no, she's mean, God. Uh, well, okay, I know that she's God, <laughs> but I'm our love is God. Oh my, oh my, oh my Sutton. That was really all I had for notes from a director. But again, I always say if you've caught something that said was wrong, if something that you feel needs to be corrected, yes. please always feel free to reach out on our Instagram from the top underscore podcast. And if you really need some bullet points and, you know, some throw some Bible verses at me, I'll happily, you know, or throw Bibles. Them. You can throw Bibles. Yeah, too throw, if you throw want. an entire Bible at me at our email and a uh, podcast from the top at gmail.com. <laughs> Can you imagine if we just start getting people emailing us Bibles? Bibles. I I need Jesus, so quite frankly. (laughs) Why have Jesus when you have Sutton Foster? When I have Sutton Foster, exactly. (laughs) I do oftentimes, though, try to, when I listen to our initial episode... I, I, there's going to be a day, Stephen, there's going to be a day where we get to a show notes and then I go, oh, I, I have a note from a director. I, I found a, a thing, uh, but I, I mean, today is not that day. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm trying, I'm sure trying. Do you just get so wrapped up in the sinewy, sultry fashion of our voices, Mary? You know what? I do in fact love listening to the sound of my own voice. So yeah, that raccoon on speed. Mm. <laughs> Okay, so while I may not have the notes, because I, even though I do listen, I do, obviously, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to talk to you about anything. Uh, I, <laughs> I actually, I'm going to share a little story, but the only way to do it is to describe kind of where it came to be. Um, I had my own actor's nightmare. <gasps> 
so did it involve goats <laughs> um he, the goats were actually screaming inside my brain so i mean in a matter Love of speaking it. yes um just as a, a quick little story so i went and auditioned for the general auditions for uh one of the theaters in town and i have an audition for a show in five years or more like it is in it's nut nutter butters and when i got down to you know i had been memorizing my monologues for like two days i had recorded them i was listening to them i was writing them down trying trying to commit this to memory and i get into the room and i've you know given my audition form and they're giving me all the particulars and i step back on my mark and they went okay go ahead whenever you're ready and I stood there and I looked at the wall because they say, don't make eye contact with the panelists, like look right above their heads. And I stood there and I looked at the wall for 10 whole seconds before I started my first monologue because my brain went, there's nothing up here, kid. Good luck. <laughs> you know, in that instance... It's just better to say nothing. They were probably just like, she's just really prepping. She's very, very... <laughs> she's getting into character. character. <laughs> but inside, the goats are screaming. The goats were screaming. So, an excellent, an excellent segue into Give Me What Actor's Nightmare We Missed from this week. <laughs> Ooh, well... Did we forget lines? Um, we forgot lines, didn't no we? No lines. I mean... Neat. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think we just skipped ahead a page, and that was... <laughs> That's arguably, Stephen. That's arguably worse. It's worse. Thank you. It's worse. It's worse because oh, if you've if you have I would, information, I would rather be the ooh. scene. No, I would rather be the scene partner that is like looking into the dead eyes of the person across from me and be like, okay, I can improv my way through one line, yeah, and like tie it into the conversation. Yeah, That's fine. Fine. Skipping a page and then trying to realize, do we try to go back? Do we just try to give the particulars that are necessary to drive the plot forward do we care that they missed their entrance like we suddenly have all these things <laughs> that we have to navigate and it's a problem oh, especially if there is like important information on that page that needed to just like you said entrances plot you know plot devices all those things anyway so actor's nightmare um what we skipped a page neat the season about death right we right. we dropped the fact that yes it's a season about death but then we went you even said it in the beginning it goes right into like this this hint that i gave about this scar forever changing this girl's life but then yeah we never talked we about the death part we talk about we did talk about that the mother had passed away but we also sort of skipped over the fact her father has been dead for a little while yes Okay, yes, so I, I believe it's particulared to be five years. Which is kind of what spurns her to go down and seek the preacher out to try to get herself right. fixed. So it's not an immediate thing. The father has died, and I'm equating it to she's probably been alone up in this cabin on the mountainside. Like, let's pretend you just had to live COVID on the side of a mountain with nothing but a televangelist on television preaching they can miracle cure you. Like, may, I'm thinking that has to be part of this, right? That, the thought of that, Stephen, makes my heart so sad. And I think that especially since we we drop the fact that she is not really, like, you know, socially, she hasn't been socialized, truly, like, in a, in the sense of, you know, being readily around people, right? Because we, we mentioned the fact that her father is desperately trying to keep her, like, safe. But in that regard, he 
it, it is a detriment to her. So she doesn't know how to socially interact with people. And so to know that like you've lost both your parents, you're living isolated, you don't know how to people and your only hope is this televangelist preacher that is, you know, a day or two bus ride from where you are. And it's the first time you're leaving your house, truly leaving it and your town and like all these things like it, it, it that death is almost I mean, this might be a hot take to me. That death is just as bad as losing someone you love. Wow. There, there's no comparing it really to anything else. And that's why it's just, it felt so different and why I thought this needed to be included in this season yeah. as as just sort of a, a different take totally. on loss and death. Yeah. So that that was more my reasoning and why I thought, I th- especially with these ways, maybe not, it's not Beetlejuice. It's not like, oh, they're dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Right. So I thought it would be good to clarify a little bit on how this ties into this season and this season's theme. Yeah, I definitely will say that I dropped the baton. I dropped the spirit stick as your podcast host because I mentioned the scar and then nothing about death. I was like, I even went back and I heard that today and I was like, Mary, what? Sis, it's how the is- curse. It's a- but really, though, it's the curse. So, oh, no, that's so good. I haven't. Oh, my God. I haven't thought about that as movie a former in a minute. Male cheerleader, as a former male cheerleader, don't drop the spirit stick. <laughs> Do not drop the spirit stick. So, I mean, spirit stick aside and all of the bad juju that comes with that, I I guess we, we've got to talk about the kind of the bad luck that Violet, you know, kind of had bestowed on her not bestowed but like that she ran into from a very young age with this whole facial disformity because of an accident that i mean she kind of harbored i mean obviously she harbored animosity for a long time about that yes and actually this rolls very nicely into this point that i have okay most productions do not actually physically show a scar on their leading lady like they do not really? give a prosthetic scar they do not do anything yeah in the original 2014 broadway version sutton foster there was nothing across her face sure. um in the production i was in um my, my bestie yeah. uh miss tiffany she uh i know she did not do anything makeup wise it's it's oh, up to the audience right. yeah, yeah it's up to the audience you yeah. You fill in the blanks because I think it speaks on two levels, I think, because it it allows you as an audience member to make it as bad as you want in your mind. But it also plays with that fact, sort of like what I was saying, how sometimes we can have a blemish on our skin and we think it's just like the ugliest thing on the planet. But when anyone looking at you, they're just going to be like, oh, it's fine. Like, I don't see anything until you point and, you it know, out. I, I don't want to, like, minimize maybe what Violet's going through, because clearly she had a trauma. Well, like, no, but, yeah. but... But also, just saying, like, I think she's putting so much of that insecurity on herself, too, that she's not allowing people to... There may be a couple people that stare. There may be a couple people that treat yeah. her awful. Yeah. But, you know, I think she's not allowing the people to give her those good graces, Mm -hmm. those good graces. So absolutely. I guess, uh, am I going to use metaphor in the correct? I mean, maybe I'm going to use metaphor. It's a, it's a metaphor. Um, From when as we long were, as it's not an allegory. Yeah. It's not oh, an allegory. thank you. It's an allegory, not a metaphor. <clears throat> but I think that it, it, it really is 
a great device to not go through the process of adding either a prosthetic or adding any sort of makeup. Like you said, it gives both the audience and truly the actors on stage the opportunity to really kind of visualize what this looks like. And I think that it would it would validate more about Violet's journey of trying to get this corrected if we physically saw this. But because in her mind's eye, it is awful. But to everyone else, like, I mean, obviously you've got the people who do like the whole, oh my God, like you're, you know, you've got this giant thing on your face. Like it, it speaks to the idea that the right person will look past those things to see the core of you. And I think having that physically represented would, like, I think it would not make that lesson stick as well if you yeah. saw it. Does that yeah. make sense? The right, the, that felt yeah, like 100%. a rambling. Okay. No, no, no. Because I like, I'll bring it up. Because like Monty, even though he's willing to talk about it openly and be like, "Yeah, that thing." <laughs> oh my god. But then there's also Flick, mm-hmm. who who really doesn't even. It's it's nothing. It's nothing to Flick. Yeah. And that's sort of the right trajectory. So there's two spectrums there, sure. or even three, we'll say, because sure. you have Flick, who's like, oh, nothing. I'm just going to take you as you are. Monty, who's like, oh, oh yeah, but cool. You're you're, you're a cool girl. <laughs> you slept with you me, have, so like, <laughs> cool. You're you're all right by me, bruh. <laughs> but then <sighs> we have like the P- Mr. Wallace Weatherman, who won't mm-hmm. even look at her because he's too nervous. So you have these these different areas of people. And so even I'll even give Monty some credit. Like, he'll be like, yeah, whatever. Want to sleep with me? Like, (laughs) just (laughs) this also folds really nicely into sort of this other point we didn't get to talk about. And I said I would we should talk about this more in the episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. When Violet's coming off the bus, Mm -hmm. there's this mystery whether or not she's actually been healed. And I think that plays a part into why people don't put some, something on anyone's face because what it does is it gives the audience this sort of question mark on, is she healed? Did it work? Did something (laughs) change? And I'm not seeing it. What is this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we're, we, we then just get to see her and she is changed in this in this question mark period yep. where she's on the bus just being social, having the best time. People on the bus are laughing and able to look at her and like have conversations. And she's never felt better. No. Nope. And of course, she steps off that bus and fucking Monty. Fucking Monty. God, I just I want to strangle that boy and be like, shut up. She's oh. on a high boy. Leave her alone well he didn't know i know but he's so he's so dense he's not even beautifully dense he's just dense he's not like will in oklahoma he is just just dense dense. he's expecting her to like need consoling Uh, be that like oh i'm gonna be that thing you like cry on like i'm i'm here because here we are i said i'd be here i'm here but clearly this wasn't going to work for you. So, right. hey, you want to come with me to San Francisco for two days before I ship out? <laughs> like, you want to have sex with me before whole, I go off to the war? <laughs> literally, literally. No, uh, but what? then you also have Flick, who shows up at the same time and is also is super consoling and caring yeah. in a different way. Because he knew it wasn't going to work either, but he came at it from a better 
perspective. Well, I think too, because like if you look at those two in tandem or in juxtaposition, uh, they both knew it wasn't going to happen, but Monty brought it up to her. Kind of like I told you so, and Flick waited for Violet to say something, and that's the way that that needed to go. If Violet believes that it's true, then the supportive partner goes, you know what, hun? You're beautiful. Look at all the things that happened. You know what, though? I almost made my what if. What if Flick had to tell her? (gasps) No. It was a cop-out. It was a cop-out writer to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to make the asshole tell her. And I'm like, actually, no. What if this flipped? What if Flick would have had to tell her? Because then would she have taken it differently? I had this thought, like, even in the show, I was like, well... This isn't fair. (laughs) I just I just happened to be the first face she saw when she got off the bus. Yeah, but also Monty has no filter, so of course Monty would say something. You know. Oh yeah. But but again, he was waiting for her to like be distraught, but she was on the high because she she wasn't going well, I forget what she says. She wasn't gonna jinx it by like looking in the mirror. She wanted the thing to set in yep, or have exactly. time to like oh, set yeah I'm like know. okay oh, baby i know <sighs> i know but it's, it, it just brings up that funny thing because at the very one of the first lyrics of this show is um she's denouncing the people of spruce pine the people of spruce pine are stupid like the that's her thoughts on these people and the thing is they must also look at her and be like you think this can happen are you not stupid too yeah yeah there is a level of I guess ignorance and the idea that ignorance is bliss on both sides of this conversation. 100%. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, if you are the victim of the accident, ignorance in the truth of what it has done to you can make you blissful because now it's not painful. You don't have to, you know, like I have all of the things I ever wanted. I got healed. Look at me like I'm great. On the other side of that, the ignorance of everyone else looking at you going, um, yeah, maybe it's not that bad. Like it, you know, it's, it's the idea that it's not that bad. There is the line of saying it when it's truly not that bad. And then your, your gay friends, your girlfriends going, oh, it's not that bad but you know that they're lying to you <laughs> when you know that it's bad and they you walk out with the world's worst haircut and your gays oh, and your girls go, it's not that bad. The core idea of ignorance is bliss, I think kind of does see itself as a theme kind of in this show because is it, you know, the, the question then becomes, is it better to live in ignorance because it makes you happy or because it is, quote, easier to live with the ignorance? Or is it easier to pop that balloon early on and then tell somebody the truth and give them the knowledge because truth, you know, knowledge is power and know that that will hurt them in the end? Like, which, you know, which side of this do you play? I mean, it's like any Trump supporter or anti-vaxxer. Like, they can (laughs) f*** off. Like, whatever. (laughs) I'll lose followers. I'll t- fine, cancel me. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye now. Goodbye if we're going to get canceled, we're going to get canceled for this episode. Thank <laughs> so you. Goodbye. Fine. Goodbye.
of course, that is a whole other, you know, larger conversation that isn't a physical disformity. But I think it is a very fine line that you have to kind of ride that we all do as people with our own insecurities is can I do I live in ignorance or do I accept this as truth? And then there is doing it for others. And I think that sometimes it's easier to be able to do it for yourself than it is to do it for other people. I mean, that might also yeah. be a hot take, but no. I'm, you know, I don't know. I seeing my own shortcomings and seeing like the, the things that if I don't want to see it, I don't like it. It disappears for me. And then someone on the outside goes, hi, do you remember this thing about you? That is like bad. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't realize that was real. Eh. Eh. That's a problem for future Mary. Say it enough times, it can become the truth. <laughs> I weave my own narrative. I We are the music makers. We are the dreamers of dreams. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. The things that come Aren't out of Are we all a little violet sometimes? You know what? <laughs> We're all a little violet. Promise me, violet. Why won't you promise? Like I promised you. You could keep singing to me and that would be great. You're not some beauty that don't concern me. I'll be here for you. I'll be waiting by the roadside anytime I may do. <laughs> Thank you. That brought me back to center. I've been waiting for a lifetime. <laughs> Why'd you stop? I'm like, sir, I'm literally, you're putting me in a great mood. <laughs> Tiffany was always like, do you know how hard it is to not choose Monty when you're singing that two inches from my face? Mood. I've never, I didn't even get that close to you in Spring Awakening. And I, that's a mood. There, platonically, there were some nights where I'm like, damn, I wish I was Sean right now. I had to like leave because they're like, Steven, there's something really real. sensual about like this gay moment on stage right now. So. It is the realest of reels. That is real, real. Just, just real. It's just funny. It's just funny. It's just because you you know how to human and the rest of us don't. And we're like, ooh, look, a sexy human being a sexy human with another human. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, Wrong. sort of speaking of how much of an asshole Monty is. Ah! So there was actually a song change. What a good segue. That, happened. that was beautiful. <laughs> there was a song change in the show. And actually, I think I'm torn on this because the only song that's changed changed hardcore is Monty's song. He originally got to sing a song called You're Different. Oh. oh. To Violet while she was sleeping right after this weird dream sequence that she had oh, sure. while yeah, sleeping yeah. Yeah. in Memphis. He walks in, takes her diary, starts reading it, and is starting to do all the stuff. Well, instead, Monty, in the newer revised version, has a song called um, Last Time I Came to Memphis. And it's pretty much just a song about him bragging about all of his sexual escapades and what he likes to do when he's in Memphis. And oh. sort of just being this like guy that's like, da, da, da. Your Different talks about how he's really venomous towards Violet for writing all these things about him in the journal, and he doesn't really like that. And then right. he starts realizing, wait, you're kind of just misunderstood. You're just different. And that's what he's singing about. I mean, and oh. then he becomes Monty a little bit more in that song and is like, oh, 
you just like me and that's why you're treating me like crap and oh that's totally fine that's it that's what you're doing he does have a sweet moment at the end of it with her where he's like you're different you know and and more than i care to admit there's something you've got going for you or the lyrics of it this other song last time i came to memphis absolutely shifts all of that perspective like he maybe mentions that there's a little bit of something there for violet but this is his time to party. This is his moment. He's not going to let anything derail this night. And it sort of makes that choice for you. Where before Heavy there sigh. is, there, there's just this question in the original where you're like, I guess there is a little bit of reasoning maybe to go with Monty. Like he's not the greatest guy. He's not the most perfect thing. Right. But he does see what he needs to see and that's why even me i'm like yeah i can see this but i still say you need to go with flick yeah but this other song last time came to memphis i think really cements the fact flick's sort of venom toward that is really not it's less about a love triangle and more like jealousy yeah and and so it 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 really cements this story and you feel gross seeing Violet with Monty in this new switch. So I'm almost upset. I didn't get to sing this song besides the fact that it slaps, (laughs) but uh, I just thought it was, it was something to talk about that. It was the only major change song wise that happened once it made this 2014 um, transition to Broadway. Dang, I want, you know, and that's, I wonder now if that had actually stayed in the show, if I would have different feelings about Monty. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it would like absolutely change my feelings on him, but I mean, you know, there, I'm always a sucker for the moment where you've got this character that you do not like and you're not rooting for, but they have a minute of growth and you go, it was almost a moment of redemption. It almost almost was almost. But then the only other major thing that maybe we didn't get to talk about was there's a moment where Violet and Flick are talking about trading outward appearances. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just worth mentioning, I feel. It just to like, again, get into some walking on glass territory. Neat. <laughs> but Violet would rather keep her scar. <laughs> Then, then be trade a, faces then with be Flick. a black person. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Remember like, how I, we said we didn't really like Violet as a character? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I think this I think this this thought is what also spurred me to want to go back and read a little bit more about Doris Betts sure. and see like where was she coming from with this? What, what? is this? What is this act- is this actually in poor taste or is this <laughs> Uh, is this trying to prove a point like you know you as a writer get to explore and right. create things and do whatever right, to right. prove a bigger point at the end you know clockwork orange 1984 animal farm like you yeah. get to do these awful things yeah, putting those two things in the same category i i know that i had initially said in the last episode that like it, it's a nice kind of camaraderie that they share minutely because of the fact that she gets judged for her outward appearance and so does he which is fine to have that camaraderie to go, okay, yeah, I kind of understand where you're coming from. The fact that he says that to her to kind of comfort her and go, hey, like, I kind of get it. I, you know, I get it. I have it too. But to then take it a step further and remind us that she is in the Bible Belt 
in the 60s, like we've got that we go back to that idea that, oh, yeah, I mean, I could have, you know, 100 scars on my face, but I'd rather do that than look like you just makes it makes every little bit of her that I kind of went, oh, like that. Yeah, I can see that. Like I can I resonate Mm-mm. immediately. Those yeah. things are not the struggles that the African-American community have survived and gone through throughout history are not even remotely close to somebody who has a, fa- a physical disfigurement because of an accident that happened when you were a child. It's not the same thing. So to give that a voice kind of makes the skin want to crawl off my body. Yeah, but it speaks to the culture. And the time then. period. It's all and there. And the time and the area. Like, it's just to, just to have the balls to say, I don't, I wouldn't trade for that, is powerful in its own right it is but it's a gross kind of powerful it's 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 the grossest power i hate it it's trump having the nuclear codes power Uh, uh, (laughs) uh, no he's indicted mother (laughs) well trump can go shave his back now but bye jason (laughs) yeah do you have anything that you didn't feel we got to talk about or that you noticed within the show that needs to be given its due or that we just plain forgot baby i will say we didn't really get to talk about how violet has this moment where she while having her come to jesus moment she sort of gets to reconcile with her dead father Mm. oh yeah that is a thing that we didn't talk about that is true and i guess that's kind of big You know, I mean, not to, you know, take it down the darkest timeline, but I will because that's who I am. Um, In the darkest timeline. I think that's fine. You're right. Um, As somebody who has lost her father, that moment really resonates like with me on a level that I didn't think it would. You know, when you're a child, you kind of have this idea of who your parents are and they really can't do any wrong because they're your parents. You don't see their shortcomings as a child. And then when you become an adult, you start looking at them as adults and you go, oh, there are things about you that maybe aren't like the greatest thing. It is a great nod to the fact that that is a stage of grief that I think people kind of neglect a lot of the time is they do not reconcile that sometimes your parents are not good people and sometimes they do things that are not good and when you become an adult and you know more about the world you look back on that and go keeping me sheltered like that was not a good choice and telling me to like you know keep myself out of the public eye was not a good thing to do because it didn't help me form the things that I needed to form to be a full-fledged human being and so to be able to and then especially add another layer on top of that the fact that he is directly responsible for this accident that caused her disfigurement and her lifelong pain that she's been suffering for her to be able to kind of let that go that kind of triggers quote the transformation in her to go look i'm healed i got to tell my dad everything i wanted to tell him and now i feel better and hey look i'm healed and i think you could grab deeper meaning from that and maybe some people do and that's probably what i'm doing a little bit right now but it is it is something to be said that you can never really truly move on from something or get over something you just learn how to live 
live a new version of your life with this information that you have yeah. or this thing that has happened to you. For her to be able to let that go in some form is really cathartic because it was weighing her down. It was weighing her down. It was making, yeah. you know, a lot of the decisions that she was, uh, it was influencing a lot of the decisions that she was making and harboring an animosity towards somebody for something like that, especially after they're dead. That is just taxing. It's emotionally taxing. And so at a certain point, you have to stop because otherwise it will just continue in a perpetual spiral until it also takes you out too. And well, I mean, think about it. This is, She's essentially taking it out on everyone around her. Literally. Your mother dies and suddenly this father's left with this little girl and he has no idea. He has no idea. Dads don't know. He, he, he teaches her how to play poker. Yeah. He, he's like, I'm praying to God you never get your period because I don't know what to do. I like, literally won't know what to do. I can teach you how to play poker. I'll teach you how to drive a stick shift. I'll, do you want to recalibrate an engine? Fine. Yeah. Let's go chop wood. But yeah. I, 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 I have no idea how to help you become the woman that I know you need to be. Plus, you remind me so much of your mom. You're hard for me to deal with. Yeah. So there's so much of like his story that affected her in so many ways and so i think she had to come to terms with a lot of that too that he was just doing the best he could and she forgave him for that forgiveness is a really big thing that if you are able to to give it and you are able to accept it 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 helps you grow as a person and granted we could go down the rabbit hole about things to forgive and not forgive and all of that garbage but focusing specifically on this knowing that it was an accident that she unfortunately was just kind of at the wrong place at the wrong time finally understanding that her father did everything he could to try to help her to raise her and, you know, sometimes, I mean, parents just act out of instinct sometimes when it comes to trying to keep their kids safe. I mean, like, you know, he didn't he didn't want to tap into his own feelings because he was never taught how to do that. So he didn't know how to teach his daughter how to do that when she's trying to talk about mom. Very much a Lydia and Charles scenario. Why don't you talk about her? And he goes, because it hurts and I don't know how to fix it. Yeah. Direct correlation there. Yeah, Literal, absolutely. Yeah. That was a big, that was big. Oh, neat. Okay. Let's feel some big feelings tonight, Steven. Thank you. Yay. Exactly what I needed tonight. Thank you. Anytime, Mary. I'm so happy. Is that a little birdie for me? Oh, I love a little birdie. I'm going to put it in a cage and call it cuckoo. Cuckoo. Holy shit. What the fuck? I, I don't. Ow. Ow. Delayed. Ah. Son of a that is oh that's painful Ooh, yeah right um oh, i mean i was just gonna like i was gonna do a thing and then you whipped out that shit. i'm just like and i'm dead and i'm dead i'm dead because you have to do it so like oh is that a little you have to be such a brat about it and i'm just like oh shit. i can't be mad at you because you're adorable fuck you <laughs> I'm crying. Ouch! I good. You're crying, and I'm I'm seizing up. It's fine. It's good. Ow! Jesus Christ! If you weren't such a brat about it, I don't think I would break as hard. But the fact that you're such a like, oh, like it's like you miserable. F- <laughs> 
<laughs> God damn it. It's just my Marilyn voice. I know. I don't know. <laughs> you can't be mad at Marilyn. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know. Because you're a beautiful blonde gay man that can do a Marilyn voice. And it's like, obviously, I can't be mad at you. God, I literally, I wit some days, Steven, I just, I marvel at the fact that you and I are friends because truly there are some days where I'm like this, mm -mm, how did he find me in this mess? I don't know. I don't know. He, he saw me in a dumpster fire and went, oh, save the poor girl. She's, she, she'll be fine. Well, something like it hot and that ain't bad. And that <clears throat> ain't bad. Oh man. I love that you're my blonde gay brat. It's so good. Well, pending any random visits from a dead father, I think we should uh, move on swiftly to a quick cast. Um, okay, so... I hope I get it. I hope, oh, hope I, I get, get it. it. Getting it, ooh, ooh, Monty in Memphis. Getting some, <laughs> ooh, from Violet. <laughs> Is that calling back to your male cheerleader days? That sounded very like S P I R I T spirit. No, it was not. <laughs> Whoa. That male cheerleader is different than dance captain. They are not the same. That is a different thing. They They're both a performance, but different affectations. <laughs> So, uh, looking at our quick cast, we know from mm, our wonderful website, mtishows.com, we know that this cast size is 11 to 20 people. We know that we have, you know, multiple, or not multiple, but like there are people who double as other things like bus drivers and, you know, choral singers and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, when you and I were talking about this, I will say that I'm, first of all, I'm glad that I don't have to cast 20 people because that's a little too much for Miss Mary right now. So we have done six of the cast. These are like your mains. Again, my producer, my lovely, you have a pin, a veto a swap and an executive prerogative you have all of these things you can use at any given time uh, i am giving you two options for each of the roles so um the first person that i'll throw on the table is going to be our titular character we're going to talk about violet so the two headshots that i have for you on the table i have jennifer lawrence Ooh, that's interesting okay up against anna kendrick <laughs> very different but the same option they're both in for their comedies let's put them serious. in a serious yeah well but i mean okay like i'm like hunger games is comedy um no <laughs> it's so the darkest timeline <laughs> you know i love me some anna kendrick i think she mm -hmm. would try to eat up this role um there's something speaking to me about one miss jennifer lawrence with this there is no kidding okay. there is yeah all right I'll give you a little J, a little J Law. That's delightful. Not All some right. J Lo. No, well, I mean, I will always give you J Lo, but you know, <laughs> J Lo might have aged out of this role in particular. Just, I'm her face wouldn't tell you that. Jesus, I anyway. know. Oh, can I? Okay, for one hot minute, can I just talk about how hard it was to do this particular cast? Because everybody that I chose looks a particular age, but then you go back and you fact check some stuff and you're like, mm, we oh. can't have them playing this role. Oh. They're barely legal. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Jailbait. I, 
my <laughs> God, I would have been thrown in jail immediately. Let's do okay. young Violet. Let's get her, her counterpart. Ooh, cool. Okay. Perfect. So your two headshots for that are, funny enough, Violet McGraw. <gasps> Scary little Megan doll. Yeah. I love that your face just My face dropped. is like, no. It, I think you had a stroke just then. That was really scary. I, did. I didn't like that. Okay. Um, um, up against McKenna Grace. Oh, how dare you? I'm sorry. McKenna Grace looks right. Hmm. McKenna Grace. We're going with it. Ah, I like neat. it. I like that look. Oh, wait. Maybe Violet McGraw against Jennifer Lawrence. Vigorously typing. Nope, I changed my mind. Violet McGraw. <gasps> You've literally taken my breath away. <laughs> well, lo looking at <coughs> the looks here, I can absolutely see a young Violet McGraw turning into a J-Law. Neat. I like it. It is. She's marked. Okay. So then. It's funny, though. I would have gone the other way had I chose Anna Kendrick. It would have been McKenna Grace. Yeah, I can see that. I can totally, I can, I can see one turning into the other for sure. Okay. So knowing that Violet is Jennifer Lawrence, how about let's go to Flick? Cause we know that we're going to obviously yes, start, in, start in with these boys. Um, so your two headshots for Flick are Jelani Aladdin. That name is familiar. Well, that name would sound familiar to you because uh, played Kristoff uh, in Frozen on Broadway. Oh, you are right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was cute. Okay. Uh, but he is up against Noah Ricketts. Oh, that's another Broadway. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Sure Ooh, they do a lot of like fun queer things though, like draggy. I like that. I, ooh, that would be interesting. Yeah. But you know, I'm going Jelani. I like that. I like his look okay. up against Jennifer Lawrence. I like it. Okay. Well, Beautiful voice too. Oh. oh like literal butter just like i like that you're shaking your shoulders like, mm, guess like this, ooh. this is a good it's like choice a, it's a yummy shimmy it's <laughs> a yummy shimmy <laughs> hashtag let's go to monty now you know me i've put him up for pretty much everything because i think he's pretty and he can sing uh nicholas hamilton because i love him don't our in-house bartender you're starts right. slow build the pressure and then really let go. Oh my god! And then it really just go for it. Uh, you're you're. I mean, but we've also made the joke that like you would just be passing the baton to your brother. So. It's my young brother. Yeah, it's totally fine. The other choice that you have is Joshua Bassett. <laughs> <laughs> Are you throwing a High School Musical the Musical the series in front of me right now? Is that what you're doing? Yes, unabashedly. Yes. How dare you? Again, How you put me you? in this position specifically to do I this. Did. Go with your heart, Stephen. It's like Sutton Foster. Just go go with what you it know. It really is. And let it sing. sing. I think I love getting Disney stink off of people. So let's do it. Let's get some Mr. Bassett in here. Excellent. Yay. Okay. So. I bet his hair gets lighter in the summer. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, what you want to bet that that's true? The last two people that I have for you are both uh, both males. We've got Dad and the Preacher. So for Dad, because we have Jennifer Lawrence and Viola McGraw, keeping those humans in mind, yep. your two dad options, Stanley Tucci. <laughs> I know. Wait, wait. Oh, no. Vision, envisioning him on the side of a mountain chopping wood. 
he it's could either do getting it. me hot or it's making me want to throw up. Anyway. Ooh, I've never made you feel that way before. That's neat. That's, yeah, okay. Milestones for our friendship. Um, He's up against Matthew Broderick. <laughs> I, don't, I think you just threw up. What just happened to you? What was that? I, d- I don't know. I don't know what that was. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't used one of these in a minute. I'm vetoing both of these. I can't handle them. Oh, I can't do this. Wah, I can't wah, do it. Wah, wah. I have, nope. It's been I a can't minute. Do it. It's been a minute. Oof. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? Hey, we're we're gonna come back to it because that means you gotta okay. do some research. Stanley Tucci would just sit her down and have a really good lesson. Like he would have been able to be like, Violet, this scar is a part of your life. I, there's no way. And Matthew, Matthew Broderick, Broderick. would have done the same. So here's who you have for a preacher, because, you know, I wanted somebody who had showmanship and someone who had a good voice and, like, uh, did all the things. Your first headshot for this is Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I want a cracker. Okay. I, yes. I, I love this idea. So, so good. He is also up against Victor Garber. I know that name. He was the guy from Titanic, the one that saved or that tells Rose to go find a boat. Oh, I do kind of like that. Oh, you know, I'm going to blow your mind right now. Oh my you God. essentially cat, you cast your own show. Um, Victor Garber, 100% as this preacher, but I'm wanting Hugh Jackman as Violet's daddy. <gasps> oh, so we had both a veto and a swap out. Oh, look in at him the go. Same. Yeah. Look at him it. go. All right, friend. Well, here is your six mains of Violet the Musical in our iteration of this universe. Violet is Jennifer Lawrence. Young Violet is Violet McGraw. Flick is Jelani Aladdin. Monty is Joshua Bassett. The father is Hugh Jackman. And the preacher is Victor Garber. I'm into it. I'm literally, I would watch that show in a minute. I like it. I love that. So, I mean, in keeping on brand and in theme with this iteration of our universe, uh, I think that swiftly sends us careening down the mountainside, firmly planted into the seat of a Greyhound bus with nothing but a facial scar and a Bible in hand. I think you know what we need to do. We, We have to travel on that bus to our magical land of what if. I hope Sandra Bullock is driving because we need some speed to get up this mountain. <laughs> she does have to keep it at 55 miles an hour, otherwise the bus does explode. What is it that you present tonight for the council for Cerebral yeah. Review? Yeah, so there's a pivotal point when, again, we always just talk about they stopped in Memphis for an overnight, but when they first stop in Memphis, Violet's suitcase gets stolen, which then ensures that she stays with Flick and Monty, who are the only people she knows, because she doesn't any. She no longer has the address to the supposed relatives that they, she has there. Right. So what if her suitcase wasn't stolen i'm more so asking do you think she would have been drawn to these two guys at all past this point do you think there would have been a reasoning for her to go back to one of these two or was she so hell-bent on her pilgrimage that she would have just left and never thought about them again so i will say that i am led to believe that she would have um she would not have gone with Monty and Flick because 
the conversation, the only reason I'm basing my entire explanation on this is the conversation that she has with the old woman prior to all of that happening. The old woman goes, you should stay with us tonight because, you know, whatever, and gives her reasoning. And she goes, no, I need to get on to Memphis and I need to do that. And she goes, well, if you're going to stay a night, like you're already staying somewhere. So you might as well stay here. And she shuts her down because she's got an eye on the prize, right? So then for the suitcase to get stolen and to be with the only comfortable people that she knows, the people that would, quote, protect her, right? Because obviously she's had her suitcase stolen. That is the catalyst for her staying there. If she had had her suitcase and had all the things, she was a woman on a mission. She was not going to let anything slow her down. I absolutely think she would have just gone ahead and left him. Yes, immediately. She would have no reason to stay. Yeah. There's totally a part of me that thinks that she's had this moment with Flick on this bus to where she's starting to feel like a connection with Let It Sing. And she's already had this tit for tat with, you know, Monty. And I just think there might be some seedlings of, well, maybe... And like, yeah. I, oh, it, 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 it just it just makes me think, OK, well, these two weren't awful before my changing. Like, maybe yep. like, they're worth, you know, hitting up. So I'm just looking at, like, the things that led up to Memphis. And then when they get off the bus, then she does have this chit chat with the old lady. And yeah, she absolutely is like, yeah, no, I need to go. Like, but no, no, stay with me. No, 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 you'll be safe and not get raped so right yeah essentially that's what we're saying yeah that's what she was gonna say but then monty in his mouth is like did you hear something flick and like getting all up in the old lady's face Mm -hmm. because he's he's taking offense to the fact that the old lady would assume that about him although it's probably 50 percent accurate i would say about half yeah yeah that's true (laughs) and then the mechanics show up or whatever that end up taking violet suitcase but There, there's also a part of me that thinks Flick and Monty are so persuasive that a conversation could have happened where they're like, "Yo, you don't even know these people," because Flick brings that up. You don't even know them, right? Come hang with us, right? You know us better than you know them. But on the flip side of that coin, with being persuasive, they keep trying to talk her out of going. They're like, "You're not going to find what you need there." And yeah, I think that was part of it too. Oh, absolutely. But like, let's add another layer to this cake. What hap- What would happen if the stolen suitcase was staged? If Monty oh. paid someone to steal the suitcase to then get her to stay with them? Do you... You are crazy right now. Because I remember a side conversation that I think one day she was like, you paid them, didn't you? And I was like, what? And she was like, I was just thinking about it. Like, I think Monty probably... Like- he disappears for a second and then reappears it's almost like he tipped them off that was a side conversation like in the wings like being like you paid them didn't you i'm like what the hell what no i paid them to do what (laughs) but it is quite convenient that monty disappears for two seconds and then and then suddenly these mechanics show up Yeah. yeah So another layer to the cake, because he he really wanted to, you know, he knows that he's going off to war or what. I mean, insert whatever reason here. But it is it is wildly convenient that, yeah, he disappears. The mechanic shows up. The suitcase goes because of all of the people on the bus, like the platform of the bus station 
why was it her suitcase that was stolen? Not the old women, not not anyone else, not theirs, but Conspiracy theory started. Yay! I don't know. I just just think it's interesting because I think both of them are persuasive enough and they did state their cases well enough that maybe there could have been something where she would have stayed along with them on her own volition in some warped world. But I don't know. Maybe. It's just interesting to think about. Yeah. I love that thought exercise and I think that's delightful. But you know what, babe? Uh, Bus bus is leaving the station. So uh, you might want to grab that suitcase because I think our ride's about to leave without us. I'll grab some coffee for the road. (laughs) Yay! That was perfect. Uh, Well, uh, my sweet friend, uh, final thoughts on Violet the Musical? I loved talking about the show, and I think there's just so many amazing things to talk about with this show, and I'm really, really wanting people to seek out the show wherever they can and um, be a part of it. Yeah, I totally agree. I uh, remember back from the last episode, if you have an opportunity to watch this show, to be in this show, jump on the opportunity because it is it is a story worth telling. It is, there are themes that are still universal to this day. It's musically, I mean, like we said, the music is, I mean, it's a bop, a certified BOP. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's just, it's a good, it's just a good story. It just is. And it it shows, you know, maybe a time period that wasn't necessarily the greatest in, in human history, but... Uh, there are still things that you can learn from it, which I think is important. That whole emotional baggage put back in the Greyhound. Um, mm-hmm. You said to Ooh, me... Mary, you're going to fall out of your seat. You're going to freaking scream. Babe, you are so, going to scream. All right. The, the clue last time was that this next show is centered around an annual celebration, correct? Yes. And coupled with the fact, you know we're doing a season about death. It's already a second clue ingrained in like i'm pretty sure i could hear some listeners who figured it out screaming from afar i'm pretty sure i heard some this show is polarizing and i'm so excited so if this show doesn't get us canceled because of your other comments the next one's going to is that true people will hate listen to our next episode neat okay well i'm i'm locked into my chair so if i'm going down this thing's going down with me so what no guesses Nothing. Uh, okay, an annual celebration about death. Jellicle, dressing jellicle cats, jellicle cats and jellicle no. cats and jellicle stew. Yeah. Me, yeah. Taking on cats. Oh my God. Believe it or not, there was a plot to this story, and I'm very happy and excited to share that with people. Um, Neat. But yeah, this is people's hate show. They hate the show. They do not get the show. They just okay. see kitty buttholes, and it's fine. Butthole um, cut or nothing. Love it. Love that. Okay. Well, me freaking yow. Would you like a little confession? I'll just give it to you anyway. I've never finished this musical all the way through. (gasps) Okay. Well, this is going to be a very interesting next episode. It feels a very Oklahoma in the idea that like I've seen the first like half an hour of it and then nothing. Uh, 
Weber go back behind the no go home go no, he's away. now trying to sell tickets to cats again so oh my god okay. I'm gonna sit here and ruminate about this musical that we're doing Stephen mentioned it earlier if there are things that you love about our show that you want us to know about if there are things about our show that you really don't like that you want us to know about you want to follow us on all of our shenanigans and you want to be part of our conversation make sure you follow us on Instagram from the top underscore podcast or email us at podcast from the top at gmail.com but until next Jellical time cats and jellical stew <laughs> jellical cats and jellical cats jellical cats and jellical cats and jellical stew you are so excited and i love that you're excited I'm so excited but babe until next time this has been from, from the, the top. top a wandering unicorn production Mary, I, I have to ask. I, it's troubled me ever since I did the show. What does a mouth have to do with romance? You know, if you have to ask...